All right, let's take our Bibles and open them up again to the book of Daniel. And uh, we are picking up the different parts, different things that uh, the Bible tells us is yet to happen. Last week we went over the second coming of Christ, how that uh, it... Uh, we believe that it, just like the first coming, was divided into two parts, uh, the rapture of the church and then Jesus coming to reign. And, uh, of course, uh, we have uh, the book of Revelation, which we will be uh, uh, just, uh, I, I hate even to use the term summary because it's it's much more, Shallow than that, but I want us to start in Deuteronomy, I mean Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 2, and most of you remember the story of Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and uh, in his dream he could not remember his dream, and uh, he felt it was rather important, he called all the wise men of Babylon together, and he says, tell me the dream and the interpretation, they said, only God can give you your answer, O king. And he said, if you cannot give me the answer, I'm going to have you all killed. And I'll get new wise men who can do what I say. And, of course, uh, we look at this and we say, uh, surely this is the behavior of a petulant child, uh, not a reigning monarch. And yet God was even working through the king's own uh, pride and arrogance and uh, self-centeredness to bring attention to a man called Daniel. And Daniel and his three friends prayed. And in verse 19, it says, Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons, and he removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might, and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. And so Daniel goes in, and now we need to move just a little quickly here, but he tells the king of this dream. He said, now here is your dream. He says in verse 28, But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar, what shall be in the latter days? Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets make known to thee what shall come to pass. And uh, verse 31, Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. 
This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron and the clay and the brass, the silver and the gold, broken into pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that there was no place found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, uh, I probably should have come up with some pictures, but I I would dare say the theater of the mind is far greater than anything that I could draw or or bring out uh, before, and I would hope that you would exercise your imagination just a little bit with me tonight. As the king looked, and there was this image, it says it was terrible, meaning that it was frightening and it was huge, and and, uh, the head was made out of silver, the chest, I mean gold, the chest and the arms were made out of silver. The thighs were made out of brass. The legs were iron and the feet were iron and mixed with clay. And he said, this is what is going to be the history of the world. Later on, he would tell Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. And of course, the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar was all about gold. How many of you know what the chief means of uh, money was during the Persian Empire, which followed the uh, Nebuchadnezzar? Silver. What was the chief coin of the Greek Empire, which followed the Persian? Anybody want to take a wild guess here? How many are up for brass? Okay, and the and the chief image or uh, representation of the uh, of the Roman Empire was the iron sword and the iron scepter and the, and just the crushing power of the Roman Empire have any of you ever made pottery how many of you have ever tried to mix iron with your pottery uh, let me challenge you it doesn't work Iron and clay do not mix together. If the iron were hot enough to be molted, it would turn the clay to powder. And the clay, you could mold it to the iron, but it will not grip to the iron. And that was the symbol of the last kingdom. You know, the first three kingdoms were kingdoms, or first four, the were, were kingdoms where one man ruled. It was a despotic kingdom. And this last one is going to be strange things joined together that normally don't stick together. Uh, we might call that a federation or a republic even, where we take all kinds of things and put it together. And uh, there's going to be a connection between that iron and clay and the Roman or the Iron Republic, the, the one of the two legs, and someone even pointed out in history that for the last uh, um, several hundred years of the Roman Empire, it was split into an eastern and western, just like you have two legs. And uh, uh, there, there is history. 
And yet at the end of this time, there is a stone that is cut out of the mountain without hands. It falls on the feet of the statue, the image there. And the image becomes dust and blows away and the stone grows and fills the whole earth. Would anybody like to guess the identity of the stone? We call him the chief cornerstone. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation. And we, we take the history of the world and we can fit it into this vision that was given to Daniel Roughly 600 years before Jesus was born. Somewhere in that 650 to 500 year period before Jesus was born, Daniel saw this vision and God said, listen, here is the way it's going to happen. And you know what? It has happened that way. We're waiting for that last kingdom to come. And... We go to Daniel chapter 9, where we were last week. And it tells us here in verse 24 that 70 weeks are determined upon thy people, Daniel's people, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, and upon the holy city, the city of Jerusalem. Now, here's what's going to happen in these 70 weeks. To finish the transgression... And to make an end of sins. Has that happened yet? Is there still sin in this world? Oh my goodness, is there ever. Uh, so that hasn't happened yet. And then it says here, uh, to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness. Don't think so. Not yet. And then the last one is to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. These 70 weeks has to be fulfilled before or will be fulfilled as this rock crushes the, the kingdoms of this earth and grows to fill the earth. As that happens, that's when these things will be, will happen. There'll be an end of sins. Uh, there will be the bringing in of everlasting righteousness. There will be a reconciliation made. <clears throat> Excuse me. And all the vision and prophecies of the Bible will be fulfilled. And the Most Holy will reign as King. Do we see the correlation there? And uh, so what we're waiting for is for this 70th week to expire. Daniel says 70 weeks. There were 69 until Messiah the Prince was cut off. And then we look here in verse 27. Well, let's just read verse 28. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah uh, be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the flood. Unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. Well, we know that in 70 A.D., the Roman armies came in and destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and it is still destroyed to this day. The temple has never been rebuilt. It says that they are the people of the prince... That shall come. 
that prince that shall come, this is what he's going to do. He's going to confirm the covenant with many for one week. Week number 70. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abomination, he shall make it desolate even unto the consummation. And that determined shall be poured out, shall be poured upon the desolate. Now, I want you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 12. In verse 11, And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Blessed is he that waiteth, and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. But go thou thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. Now, we know that three and a half years, or half of that week, is 1,260 days. There's 1,290 days mentioned, and then an additional uh, 45 days are added to to that for the consummation of all things. And somebody says, "Where where's the extra 30 days come from? Uh, nobody knows. What about the other 45? Well, we just don't know for sure. The Bible tells us that it's going to take this time period for everything to be fulfilled. But I would dare say in our understanding of Scripture... Being 75 days in addition is, is not too hard to comprehend it fitting into this 70th week uh, of Daniel, this seven-year period. And there are many other passages that, that we could go to. And yet, uh, the, the connection that I, I want us to make is in Matthew 24 and verse 15. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Of course, they've asked some very pertinent questions. They've asked, when are these things going to be? The sign of thy coming and of the end of the world in verse 3. And we get down to verse 15. And Jesus is telling them, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. And he goes on to explain all the things that are going to happen that fall right in with the prophecies of the book of Revelation. Now, Jesus spoke of this event as yet future. So, therefore... The abomination of desolation is going to happen sometime toward the middle of the tribulation period. We can look at uh, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 2, uh, Daniel chapter 12, Revelation chapter 13. It's interesting, the beast that rises up out of the sea, how many horns does he have? Ten. How many toes do you have? Ten. There, there is a connection there. It is talking about the kingdom 
of Antichrist. And we believe these things are, are yet to happen. We are waiting for them because we cannot find in history any connection. And we're going to take just a minute here, well, just a few minutes, probably about 20 minutes or so, and start in Revelation chapter 6. Now, I would like you to stop on your way to chapter 4 in verse 1. We know that Revelation chapter 1 is Jesus' introduction to John. Revelation chapter 2 and 3 are letters to the churches. And I just believe there's a significance to chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, And after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee the things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. And chapters 4 and 5 are our glimpse into heaven. If you want to know what heaven's going to be like, read Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Now, how many of you have already grabbed the significance of the voice, as it were, a trumpet saying, come up hither, and the, uh, Christ, uh, the archangel shall descend with the trump, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air ever to be with the Lord? Uh, I believe there's a correlation there, and I believe that we are going to behold these events that are going to happen in chapters 4 and 5. And then we get to chapter 6. And it says, And I saw the Lamb opened one of the seals. Now, if you've been with us for our time in Revelation, we've gone through the book. Actually, I checked my notes three different times. And... Um, uh, our last time took about 18 months to go through the book of Revelation. And uh, so we're, we're looking at doing some other things before we do that again. But, but tonight I just want to do a summary here. Uh, you hear the trumpets. You hear the seals. You hear the vials or the bold judgments as all the scholars like to call them. Um, the... Uh, the simple thing is, the book of Revelation is about God's judgment. Now, what has God said about His judgment upon His church and His people? He said several times in the letters, I'm going to protect you from that judgment. I'm going to keep you from the wrath in First Thessalonians. Over and over again. And we already talked about the... Um, the power that is given to the kingdom of the Antichrist. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, it says, He shall war against the saints and overcome them. In Revelation chapter 13, it says that He shall wear out the saints of God. Now, that's a promise that was made to the church that the devil was never going to do that. And so... As far as I'm concerned, that's one of our, our stronger arguments as to why we will not be here during the tribulation period. God has promised to protect us from our, our wrath. And what we're trying to do is just put these things together. And the seven seals 
begin to happen. Verse 1, chapter 6. Now remember where the seven seals were. They were in the little book. They were holding the little book together that was in the hand of him that sat on the throne. And we can't miss this. Look at verse 3 of chapter 5. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And poor John misunderstood. He said, I wept much. And the whole purpose of that search to find someone worthy to take the book was not about, oh my, we've lost the key and we can't open the book. Uh, we don't know what to do. I mean, that's what John apparently was thinking. The, it was not that at all. It was an opportunity to prove the uniqueness, the holiness, the power, the majesty. Uh, the word is used several times, the worthiness of Jesus Christ. Why is he worthy to take that book and open its seals and all of this judgment comes down upon the earth? The reason he is worthy to do that is because he took all of the judgment of God on Calvary's cross. And those that are on the earth are those that have refused Jesus Christ as their Savior. And upon them is going to be poured out the cup of God's judgment without any mixture until the bitter dregs at the bottom are drained upon this earth in the battle of Armageddon. And we're going to see in verse 1 of chapter 6, and I, I have them listed here. You can go through and read all the verses, but it says, And when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, a noise of thunder, and one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. I put in your outline, and he shall confirm the covenant out of Daniel chapter 9. This is the Antichrist. He is going to go forth. You notice it's interesting that he's given a bow, but there's nothing spoken about of arrows. He's given a bow, he's given a crown, and he conquers. The, the, as he is described, it says, who can make war against him? He is going to have the power of intimidation and the power to rule the world. In fact, as we go through uh, the, the book of Revelation, we're not going to take time to unfold it. It's the kingdom of Antichrist will not only be a political kingdom, it will be a religious kingdom. And all the world will bow down. And if you will not bow down and worship the Antichrist, you will not be able to buy a loaf of bread to eat. That's the way it's going to be in the kingdom of Antichrist. And of course... You know, for centuries of time, they'd say, how in the world could one man control all of those things? Does anybody here have any problem understanding how one man could control all economy in the world? It's not that hard. 
with all the technology that we have today. It could, the things that were impossible in the book of Revelation are now things that we think about. When they wrote commentaries on this, and in fact, when we get down to uh, chapter 6 and verse 7, we'll have the fourth horse, and it says in, in verse 8, that one-fourth of the earth will be killed with the sword, with hunger, with death, and with the beast of the earth. Now, one-fourth of the population of the earth. We are pushing seven billion people. So that's what? One and three-quarters billion people? I mean, the numbers just go beyond our imagination. But do we have the technology on earth to do that? Absolutely. The United States has in its nuclear arsenal enough missiles to accomplish that ten times over. And the Soviets still have theirs, by the way. And by the way, you have all of the mad scientists concocting uh, germ warfare and all that kind of stuff that can be even more deadly than... You say, Pastor, you're painting a terrible picture. You're making me afraid. Yeah, these things are going to happen. You say, why do we study these things so we can... Be ready. The Bible tells us to be watching for His come, for His coming, for the Lord to come. And so we have the white horse. Then we have the red horse, which is war. In, in verse three, uh, the black horse, horse, which is famine. And um, what it says here is a, a measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And uh, you say, well, what is a measure of wheat? A measure of wheat was the amount of wheat that a man would eat in a day. Would be a measure. And it's not a lot, by the way. But a penny was a day's wages. How would you like to go to work and get your paycheck at the end of the day? And only be able to buy enough food for one person to eat. Now, in my house, that'd be pretty rough. Because there's more than one person at home that's going to share in that. But it's saying that the, uh, that the famine is going to be a situation where you're not going to be able to produce enough food. And one-fourth of the world's population is going to die in the reign of these first four horses. But that's not all that's going to be going on, because when the uh, fifth trumpet, uh, the fifth seal, I'm sorry, is open, there's going to be already be under the altar a great number of souls that have been slain for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And the Bible talks about the persecution and those that refuse to worship the Antichrist are, are going to uh, be killed for that cause. And when we get to the sixth, it says, um, verse 12, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig Tree casteth her untimely things when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. And every mountain and every island were moved 
out of their places. Now, we get upset. How many of you were here in 2001 when we had the earthquake in Astoria? Does anybody remember that? I mean, it was like a sonic boom about 2 o'clock in the morning, just and everything shook for about 10 seconds. I'll tell you what, that's enough of an earthquake for me. Uh, I, I really have no desire to see or be involved in any of those things, yet this earthquake says every mountain is going to be moved. Every island is going to be shifted. The plates that hold this earth together are going to move. I'll tell you, that has never happened in human history. The Bible says it's going to happen. And the seventh seal is now seven trumpets. The seven trumpets begin to sound, and in in chapter 8... And uh, verse 7, we have uh, uh, hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and a third part of the trees burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and a third part of the sea became blood. And a third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third part of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven burning, as it were, a lamp that fell upon a third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, And a third part of the sun was smitten, and a third part of the moon, and a third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. And so, we have in verse 9, chapter 1, the first woe, the fifth trumpet, and the bottomless pit opens, and these locusts come out, and it describes these things as horrendously fearful and and terrible beings. And I don't know about you, but I can't make a whole lot of sense out of that thing. It just, uh, I remember... As a kid watching a movie and somebody had assembled uh, this horse and uh, this was back before CGI and all of the things that we have today and just kind of tried to paste the pictures all together uh, of a horse with serpent tails and, and, and a woman's hair and a mouth like a lion and a face like a man and it was quite hideous. And uh, it is, someone says, will you be able to see these things? Uh, I'm not going to be here, so... Uh, I'm not terribly worried about this thing other than they're going to be tormented for five months. The Bible says they're going to seek death and not be able to die. And then we have the sixth trumpet sounds. And uh, we come down here in verse 13. And it says, 
Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. You wonder if why everything is happening in Iraq and Persia and Iran and all of that part. This is the part of the world that is getting ready for these events to be happening. And it says there's going to be one day, one year. Uh, what? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm misquoting it. Let's go here. And it's prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. Now remember, the fourth part of the population of the world has already been destroyed by the four horsemen. And now a third of those left living are going to be destroyed in one year, one month, one hour, I mean one day in one hour's time. And, and so you start adding those percentages up. And uh, you're, you're getting awful close to half of the world's population. In fact, Jesus put it this way, except those days be shortened, no flesh should survive in, in Matthew 24. The seventh trumpet sounds and then the seven angels are given the seven vials in chapter 16. And chapters 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15 are kind of like a, a flashback to give us the history and the background of all the things that are going to happen. And uh, we have seven angels coming out of the temple in chapter 15 and verse 6, having the seven plagues. And they were given... Uh, in verse 7, seven vials full of the wrath of God, and they pour these seven vials out. There are sores upon the worshipers of the beast. The entire sea becomes blood, and all life in the sea is dead. All fresh water becomes blood. The sun now begins to scorch men on the planet. In verse 8, then comes total darkness in the kingdom of the beast. And then the river Euphrates is dried up and an army of 200 million men, the kings of the east, might be prepared. Now, of course, this was something that was uh, absolutely unbelievable, incomprehensible uh, for many centuries. In fact, the turn of the century, uh, they said an army of 200 million men, that's impossible. Well, in 1965, China claimed that their home guard, meaning all available men that would serve, numbered 200 million. And by the way, China is no longer the most populous uh, nation on the face of the earth. India now is. And uh, these are the kings of the East. Uh, It's not impossible for an army of 200 million men to march. And with all of these things happening, the resources that are on this earth are going to be at a premium. And they're going to come and try to get them. And the Bible says that they are coming together to the great battle in verse 16. And he gathered them together into a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. 
And we come down to uh, chapter 19, verse 11. It says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. And uh, verse 13, the last phrase says, His name is called the Word of God. And he conquers all of the armies of the world and he sets his kingdom up. In verse uh, 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 2 of chapter 20, And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent which is the devil, and Satan and bound him a thousand years. And so we have all of these things coming. And this is the fulfillment. And yet, people have tried to explain the book of Revelation in many ways. Some of them said, well, it's all figurative and it's really not talking about physical things. But all of the things that we have read about tonight, I don't know about you, but we can see and comprehend how these things could happen physically on earth. And we believe that they will happen just the way the book of Revelation says. We are waiting for Daniel's 70th week. The trigger is he's going to confirm the covenant for one week. He is going to make an agreement with Israel. He is going to bring peace in the Middle East. Now, how many of you have heard that phrase, peace in the Middle East? Anybody here old enough to remember Jimmy Carter? That illustrious resident of the White House. I'm sorry if you liked him. He had a nice smile. Um, But Mr. Carter, even though he claimed the title Christian, did nothing in his reign and his service as president that was Christian. In fact, the most liberal, God-hating, pro-abortion judges that are serving today were appointed by Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter was no friend of the Bible, no friend of holiness, no friend of the true gospel, even though that's why he got elected. It was an amazing feat that he pulled off. But it didn't take too long to figure out that He didn't know much about anything. And yet, his greatest accomplishment was the peace treaty between Israel and Egypt. And I remember as a young man, all the preachers talking about, maybe this is the covenant that's talked about in the book of Daniel. And No. How much peace has there been in the Middle East since Jimmy Carter? Now, contrary to popular belief, if you watch those movies uh, Left Behind and all of that, Uh, I guess they could be construed as good entertainment. Uh, Very poor doctrine. There is no one that's going to sign a treaty and say, there's going to be peace for seven years, then we're going to slaughter you. Would you sign the treaty? And and yet that's how, I remember that out, somebody gave me the movie, says, you got to watch these, these are so good. Man, I, uh, I, I just so upset by the time, I'd gotten through the first 
20 minutes, it was like, I, I can't watch this garbage. has nothing to do with the Bible. He's going to confirm the covenant. He's going to bring peace. He's going to solve these problems that we have. In fact, he's going to be so good at solving the problems, people are going to begin to believe that he is not only a man, but he is God, just as they did Caesar before him and Nebuchadnezzar and Pharaoh before them. And they will worship him. And his kingdom will come apart in a very, very short time. Because Jesus is going to show up. In fact, I don't watch science fiction movies or anything like that, but they talked about how that all the armies get together to fight each other and then this alien comes in from outer space and all everybody joins together to fight the alien. Actually, that's the battle plan of Armageddon. The armies of the East are going to be marching against Antichrist. And when Jesus appears, they're going to join together and try to fight against Jesus Christ. And of course, they're all going to be destroyed. And that's where the blood is going to flow to the horse's bridle. It's about that deep for almost 120 miles of the Jordan Valley. Napoleon, in his um, way, went to the land of Israel and stood in the valley of Megiddo, which is Armageddon, and looked out over the plain and said, this is the most perfect battlefield in all the world. Well, Maybe he was right. It's the one God has chosen. And so, we, we see these events lining up. We see the economies of the world becoming more and more dependent. We see everything coming together. What happens in Europe affects what happens in New York. What happens in New York affects what happens in Tokyo and China and the price of oil uh, determines the economy in Russia today. I mean, all of these things are connected. And somebody's going to come up with the bright idea that in order to really thrive, we need to give everything to one person. You know, that's been the lie of communism and the lie of every dictator that has lived since Nimrod in the Tower of Babel. God's finally going to give man his golden age. But it's only going to last seven years. And in that seven-year period, somewhere between one-half and two-thirds of the world's population is going to die. And it will be an everlasting testimony as to the failure of man and Jesus will set up his kingdom. And all, three, all these things that Daniel said is going to happen will happen during the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen? And you need to be ready to participate in that kingdom. How do you do that? I'll tell you what. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you're not saved... I'd get saved today. Say, I'm, I'm not sure. 
Well, how about you read through the book of Revelation and say, do I really want to be here for all this? Uh, I, I think I'd rather get saved. Amen? Uh, you know, there's, there, there needs to come an understanding that God's, you're going to face God's judgment or you're going to allow Jesus to face it for you. And then we need to serve Him. If we could understand, and I speak for myself, I speak for every one of us in here, I believe, if we could just get a greater vision of what it's going to be when we get to be with Jesus, it wouldn't be so hard to live the way He wants us to now. The problem is we just don't see it. Read Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Read the stories. Understand how good and how great God is. And we need, as we talked about last week, to wait upon the Lord. Not just sitting around twiddling our thumbs. But to be that servant trying to do, prepared to do the Master's will. And He'll let us know. He will give direction. Maybe it won't be as fantastic and as fabulous as you would like it to be. But I'll tell you what. You can't be in God's will and not be a part of His church. Just can't do it. And so if all we do till Jesus comes and gets us is serve Him in His church, guess what? We'll be ready. We will be ready when He comes. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You. We ask that You would give us a vision. An understanding of Your greatness. Of Your goodness. Of, of Your wrath that has been pent up. That was poured out by upon Jesus as He hung upon the cross. That He took for all of those who will willingly come to God and confess. Savior. Lord, we pray that you would make us faithful in our witness, that you would make us faithful to your word and to lift up your name in these last days before you come. In Jesus' name we pray. Lord Jesus.